right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. Welcome to Two Guys Garage Podcast, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Productions. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I will be. Appreciate your time. Today, part two with the one and only Gail Banks. I got to tell you, Kev, that last one, oh my God, mind blown. The guy has so much history in hot rodding and making things go fast. Things you wouldn't even think about, right? From military vehicles to, to boats. He was telling us how he's, you know, he's a savage out in the boat world running, you know, 11 days covering every river in certain parts of the, you know, uh, on the southern part of the equator. I covered every river doing, you know, 208 miles an hour you know, with a toothpick in my in, in my mouth, you know. <laughs> you know, like, not a problem. It's, it's crazy. We answered the fundamental question, and that is, yes, Gail Banks has done pretty much everything. Like, he has crossed all boundaries, like you said, from, from gas to diesel to jet fuel to military to boating right from trucks cars bonneville salt flats you name it you know streamliners this guy has been everywhere and done it and he's changed the history of of you know ic engines internal combustion engines right and especially when you think diesel now this guy you know we talked about last time we joked around uh his axe right that he goes and attacks the world with is a turbocharger he loves boosting and so he doesn't care what it's running on right jet fuel no problem methanol you know, bring it. It doesn't matter if it burns. He's going to push it in there. He's going to push it in there harder. He's going to look for efficiencies. He's going to eke out everything. This guy is a mad scientist, man. It's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you read just more about him between the, the what he's done with the military, I mean, just what he's able to to create and do with some of the, you know, the military contracts and some of the really cool things that he's done, you know, some of the faster attack vehicles and Marine type support vehicles. It's, it's amazing to think that here's the guy behind all of that on our podcast. Yeah. He's no, he's no one trick pony, right? You can put him on anything. And if you watch his videos, like get online and Google Gail Banks or Banks Power, uh, and you'll find just so many incredible videos and what you get out of it like, I remember watching one where he, he was developing a diff cover, right? Cover that goes on the back of your differential. And, you know, most aftermarket guys uh, in diesel world or whatever, they'll have a, hey, ours is made out of aluminum. It's got cooling fins. It's better, right? Uh, Gail goes out and he's like, let's instrument this thing. Let's see what the, the coolant is doing, you know, the lubricant's doing inside the differential. Where is it splashing? What is it doing? Where's the airflow? 
and he'll go out and engineer a damn diff cover that's like a thousand times better than everyone else's because he goes at it, you know, with a scientist and engineering mind right along with the hot rodder, right? And he uses like real lab equipment, just like any science lab would to go and develop all these things from a simple diff cover to controllers, to boost systems, to intake manifolds, exhaust setups. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it, it is. And it, Gail joins us now. Gail, thanks for taking the time to come back on with us. Uh, and again, man, reading throughout your history, uh, I love the fact when you go Google your name, there is so many hot rod articles, uh, so many articles about all the cool things you've had your hands in, you created, uh, and you've just done for us hot riders, man. It's an amazing story, Gail. Really, truly amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I miss the magazines, uh, the print. Uh, right. And you talking about hot rod. When we started applying turbocharging to cars, would probably be the late 60s, uh, early 70s, but we we're heavy into the boats. And we, Kevin was just talking about different fuels. Uh, I'll give you a little fuel story. We ran an injected fuel, uh, an unblown fuel hydroplane, a drag boat, back in the 70s called the Crucifier. The whole idea was I wanted the thing to ET. I didn't give a damn what the speed was going out the back door, but I wanted to get there quickly. With a hydro, you got to pop the tail, get up on the prop, and then you're going. So I wanted to be able to pop the tail like a blown boat. Uh, so we screwed with camshaft, and I didn't care if I killed the engine in the lights. Luckily, we didn't. It was an injected late model Chrysler. We ran 100% um, nitromethane. So back then, the, we didn't have the spark plugs that we have today. So if I burnt the ground straps off the plugs in a quarter mile pass, I knew it was a good pass because the ground straps were gone. They were sacrificial. So Bob Vogel drove the boat. He introduced me to a guy, uh, Zuchel was his name, engine builder out here. Zuchel was screwing around with a hydrazine, which is a rocket fuel. And being out here where, you know, I'm one half a mile from the Aerojet Azusa test facility where they tested rocket engines way back in the 50s, even in the 40s probably. And uh, there's a whole bunch of hydrazine in the water table here. We're a super fun site. <laughs> Anyhow, Zuchel said, hey, Gail, why don't you try X ounces of hydrogen, hydrazine per gallon of, of uh, nitro? I get some hydrazine. You can't even buy hydrazine today. This stuff is quite volatile. When you expose it to oxygen, it starts oxidizing. We open the vial, it kind of goes, ugh. <laughs> and Vogel is standing there, the driver, and he's going, holy shit, did you hear that? It went, ugh. I said, yeah, and he, he's going and going, and we're down at Marine st Stadium, and I'm mixing, mixing the hydrazine with the uh, nitromethane, and then I'm going, what the hell? Get this, get this guy away from me. I put in an order of magnitude 10 times too much. Whoa, whoa, this is going to be good. He, idl he idles out to the line, and you hang on a rope, and, and, then, and then they start you moving towards, and then they give you the green light. 
this thing pops the tail. He's up on the prop like a blown boat. I mean, better than a blown boat. And that thing is gone. He leaves the competition about two seconds into the run. He puts all the Chrysler in the bilge. I mean, it just was one of those deals where it just kind of went, oh, and locked up. Luckily, we didn't put a hole in the bottom of the boat. So he gets out on the nose, and it's a pickle fork hydro. He's paddling in. We get it up on the trailer, and, and Vogel looks at me. He said, that, that was like God hit me in the back with an eight-pound hammer. How soon can we do that again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I told him, Vogel, never. Uh, so there's my hydrazine story. Another fuel tried and Oh, so that was it, huh? You didn't, you didn't like back down to nine times over, eight times? I didn't want any part of that. <laughs> well, that's probably why you're still alive today. You know, having enough brains to know when to, <laughs> when to get out of that game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I relive some of those street racing episodes. Oh, street. Even back then, back in the 60s, uh, I raced first uh, Fords, 406, um, 427 oh, side yeah. oiler, tunnel port Fords, and uh, FE series engines. And then I got into the Chevys. Uh, not I never raced a 409. I built plenty of them. Uh, but when they came out with the 396 and then the 427, and I moved to Chevys. I, I won a lot of money race, racing on the street, uh, early 60s. Right. But damn near got killed too many times. I mean, it's... And the cops. The cops were always a bad deal. Willie wouldn't know anything about any of that, man. No siree. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's looking all guilt-ridden here. This is a rated PG <laughs> show right here. And... Had a couple run-ins, Gail. A couple run-ins. <laughs> yeah. Can't be talking about <laughs> Willie. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. You know, you look back. Oh, yeah. And you think all the... The insane stories and, and the times when you're pushing the envelope. Uh, when you were back then doing these things in the 60s, doing these things in the 70s, and thinking to yourself, what's next and what can I get my hands on? Is it going to be this crazy fluid or you know combustible fuel? Is it going to be uh, a new design? What has inspired you throughout the years to keep pushing yourself so hard? What what is What makes Gail Banks get up in the morning and kind of tick because – you don't seem like you ever get tired of it. And that to me is, you know, a definite sort of defining sort of thing that, that a lot of people don't have that desire to keep pushing that envelope, to keep trying to keep uh, reinventing the wheel, if you will. Yeah. Take a minute, Gail, and think about that. We, we got to take a quick break. So when we come back on the other side, let, let's get your answer on that one. Cause I'm pretty stoked to hear about that one too. You got it. It's the two guys garage podcast, Kevin Bird, Willie B. Gail Banks. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Back in just a minute. All right, this is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. Kevin Bird, Willie B, Gail Banks from Banks Engineering. Uh, and Gail, you know, before the break, uh, I was kind of asking you, man, you've seen it done so much, and it's, you know, inspiring on, on every level. If you look back at what you were doing you know, in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, you've always pushed the envelope. You've always tried to, uh, I don't know, take it to the next level. What What do you think is the reason behind that? What What has possessed you to get up in the morning and go, today, I want to push the envelope 
in this fashion or in this regard. I'm going to find out where the break point is. What What is it about you that fuels that passion? Uh, competition. Uh, I'm a racer. Uh, how did I get into this? You know, I went to high school in the 50s, and you either walked to school, rode a bicycle, or you had a car. And frankly, the guys with the best-looking dates had a car. So things <laughs> haven't changed much, I guess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we all thought, all us guys, that thought that the sound of the car was something primal. And guess what? I think we were right. So we win in the marketplace as often as we can. That drives me forward. I want that next win. It's a narcotic. Uh, And I'm hopelessly addicted to horsepower. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great answer. (laughs) There is no, I mean, I tell you, man, there's no 12-step program for my affliction. Uh, Yes. I can, I'll never get over it. I'll go into the ground being a gearhead. All right. So speaking of affliction, in uh, all these years, can you can you pull out you know a couple one two three of your favorite uh, you know junky moments where you just shot it up and phew, you got the adrenaline pump and you're going to remember that for the rest of your life? Like, what are some of your most proudest projects or accomplishments in there? There's a number uh, in in boat racing. Uh, we built a boat called Hurry Round Hondo. It was a unlimited class jet boat. Mm-hmm. And that was... Sounds fun already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 2,200 horsepower, 18-foot boat. Uh, Jesus. And we ran against guys with blowers. And this is in the 70s, as I said. We went to Marine Stadium in Long Beach. It was a 1,600-meter course, like one mile. And you did a U-turn. You come right run a half mile down, make a U-turn, half, half mile back. So it was two pins, one pin on each end to turn it. You do a 180. We break the boat so it wanted to turn left all the time. You had to muscle it to go straight. And we had a lot of power on the other guys. A, a photographer by the name of Jack Cool had a camera mounted on a rifle stock. Very cool. And he aimed that thing like it was a rifle, and he had a trigger, a cable shutter release, rigged to the trigger. He shot a shot at Marine Stadium. We just completed the first lap, one mile. The second place boat was on the other side, on the back side. We had a half mile lead in one mile over the second place boat. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you know, we talked about this in the last one where you showed up to Bonneville and just smoked the record by almost 40 mile an hour. And, and that's what this guy does. Yeah. He just shows up and puts a half mile lead on a mile. You know, I think the thing that uh, uh, really the Firebird at Bonneville, that was another one where that, that, that car is sitting in the NHRA museum. Uh, it's a red uh, pre-production Firebird. They gave me a pre-production car, so there's no VIN number. The last time we ran it, it, it was badged as a 87 GTA. We went out with a car. I put 250 on the door. That was my competition number. I wanted to go 250, which was 10 miles an hour faster. 
than the Sundowner Corvette, the 240. What got me into the Firebird was was uh, John Chanella, the, the stylist on the Firebird that year uh, for the 82, uh, for that generation, I should say. And they'd been in the GM wind tunnel. He calls me up with Bob Dorn, the chief engineer, and he said, we're reading popular hot rodding, the article called 240 Sporty. And you went 240 on that Corvette, and that's real respectable. But, but how would you like to go 20 miles an hour faster with the same powertrain and in a different car? And I said, I'd love to do that. What, what do you suggest? Well, we have this new Firebird coming out, and it is aerodynamic like mad. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the tunnel with it. We want to prove that it's fast. But we're, we're putting in these emasculated smog motors. It, you know, the 80s were the dark ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like Fight Club. We don't talk about the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we built these twin turbo 700-horse uh, Firebirds. We, we had one on the cover of Car and Driver at 204 miles an hour on the street, Mrs. Or- Orcutt's driveway. June of 84, uh, nobody had gone 200 miles an hour with a magazine car. 160-something was fastest for car and driver, road track, all of them, on the street. We went 204. I got this car, went over the desert proving grounds, which was then at Mesa, Arizona, with an enclosed trailer, picked up my car. Um, It was going to be a hot rod magazine project, and the editor was going to drive it and all that jive. We got rained out at Bonneville for a few years. I had other other things that interfered. We finally ran for the first time in 86. Our two-way average was 260, exactly 20 miles an hour faster. Their prediction came true. We went back the next year. Uh, our two-way average, I believe, was 267. Our best, best one-way was 277. Uh, this is a manual five-speed uh, dual disc clutch and a lot of rear axle ratio. We destroyed a Doug Nash five-speed in three passes. We tried running uh, at the dry lakes, just screwing around and just peeled the gears right off the teeth. I mean, the teeth right off the gear. Let me get it right. So we annealed the gears. So they became sacrificial and we got three five-mile passes out of a set of gears, and then we would change the transmission. There was no trance to handle this. Anyhow, our best mile was 283. Pardon me. Our back best back door was 283. Our best mile, 277. Uh, we didn't go faster because we tested the Mickey Thompson front t- tires at Smithers Scientific in Akron, and they exploded at 280 miles an hour with a thousand pound load on, on a 10 foot diameter roller. So I went, I wanted to go 300, but I didn't want to kill Don Springfellow, who is a driver. So we limited it to that. Since then, guys have used Firebirds to go well over 300. That's a big deal to me. That was a, the Corvette at 240 was brutally fast. This thing was insanely fast. And the record, it, we broke that record by over 60-some miles an hour. They actually helped me financially to build that car. Pontiac did it. Um, they 
paid for about a third of what it cost me to do it. Uh, so that was real. I'm very proud of that. Some of the engines I've done for the military, we did an S-15 based pickup truck called the Cyclone at Bonneville. It wasn't called the, it wasn't called the Cyclone the first year out. We ran 194 two-way, naturally aspirated, a 300-inch V6. The next year, uh, we gave it some more compression, turned some more RPM, uh, better cylinder heads, and ran a 204 two-way, 210 one-way. I wanted to beat that record. That was whenever the Cyclone came out, uh, early 90s, right? Uh -huh. We came back. Uh, I met the um, one of the board members from Cummins at a talk I was doing at a Dodge dealership down in Long Beach. Uh, and... He hung out for my talk, and then we, afterwards, he told me he's running this Cummins Skunk Works. And they were working on a new V8 engine and all this jive, this early 2000s. And they were also working on what's called a common rail version of the Cummins, inline six. I said, hey, I want to go 300 with a diesel. Nobody had done it at that time. I have a streamliner. I think we've been uh, 382 with a 300-inch early model DeSoto and a 1271 running 30% nitro. I said, this, this thing will go 300 with a diesel, I, I think. Do you want to do that with a Cummins? And he said, hell yeah. I, I said, well, can you help me do it? He says, well, we don't have any money. Our, our, our stock's weighed down. Uh, our, our existing engine in the Dodge truck is not selling well. Come back to the Skunk Works. Talk to my guys. Well, they wanted me to run their V8. There were only two of them running at the time. I said, you don't know if you have a girl or a boy, but I like this B, common rail. And you do have a customer for that. So they sent me some junk dyno engines. We ultimately got 735 horsepower uh, out of the 5.9. Well, that was a ton back then, too. It was. You know? Well, nobody would ever hot-rodded. This was before the engine was available in a pickup truck, about a year before. We, we put it in a Dakota. Uh, we went to Bonneville, and uh, we ran 222 was our best. Uh, but rather than arrive in a trailer, the Dakota arrived pulling a trailer with all our pit gear, jacks, car stands, uh, gear sets, race tires, wheels, all of it. We took to Bonneville with the race truck. W what year was that? Uh, I think it was 02. I, th I yeah. was probably there for that. Yeah, I still remember that one. We got an FIA record. We got, we got an FIA record. We got Bonneville records. Nobody's ever gone fa faster than our FIA record with a diesel. I mean, it's a world record for yeah. God's sakes against cars, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you look at your history and and just again all these all these. ET for people that don't know what he says, two way at Bonneville, you have to make a run and then you have to back that run up for it to become a world record the next morning. So you put your car in an impound, you can't really mess with it too much, and you go back and make another strike to do it two ways, and they take an average of those two, uh, as long as it's over that certain mile per hour, the record. It's not not with international rec records and not back then. You had to do the two-way within one hour. You didn't have overnight oh, God. To, go, to go make love to your race car and make it good again. It had to do with wind. 
these guys run in the same direction twice. We had, had if you went down with the wind, you came back against it. Right, right, right. You, you know, the rules have really softened up and gotten far easier to set records unless they're international. The international is still a one island. That's brutal. All right, well, look, let's take a break right now because when we come back, you still have to tell us where do you think it's going? Because, you know, you look at some of these and, and the fuels and where we're headed. Where is the next evolution uh, in the internal combustion engine going to come from? Is it going to be diesel? Is it going to be uh, gasoline, corn? What's going to be the fuel that motivates us next? And where are we going to get all that performance from? We'll talk about it coming up with Dale Banks, my man Kevin Bird, and Willie B on the Two Guys Garage podcast back in just a minute. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. We have Gail Banks on the phone. If you don't know who Gail Banks is, are you even a hot rodder? Should you be listening to this podcast? I'm serious. Get, turn off your podcast and go have your parents put you in a corner somewhere. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously. Uh, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Gail, who's raced uh, damn near everything possible. Um, uh, to hear him talk about how he's hit this mile per hour, that mile per hour is just amazing to me. And to think about the fuels that he's used to do it. He's really, you're known for diesel, but you really cut your teeth in gas engines and race fuel and everything like that. Well, what was that transition? And where do you think the fuel of the future is going to come from? Is it diesel? Is it gas? Is it corn? Is it, what do you think is going to be fueling our cars in the next few years? Whatever it is, it has to have a higher energy density, BTUs per pound of, of mass. And batteries aren't anywhere near there right now. So is electricity uh, the current answer? Uh, I'd say in terms of electricity, we're around 8% of, of where it should be to become the universal answer. Uh, Battery technology has to change. How do we dispose of the battery? Uh, people have to s stop lying about the mileage, uh, the range, uh, <laughs> yeah. because it, the range, you know, you, well, what sort of terrain and at what speed is that range? Uh, not the way I drive. Uh -uh. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> not the way I drive either. It's going to be a liquid or a gaseous fuel. For the time being, diesel has the highest energy density, you know, energy per gallon, energy per pound, kilogram, however, however you want to look at it. But the combustion process is, is the issue. Uh, it's also the opportunity. Now, the gasoline guys have done a lot. They've copied a lot of diesel stuff, direct injection being, being uh, a diesel thing. And the diesel guys haven't really copied enough gasoline stuff, a spark ignition. We're, there's no variable valve timing in any diesel I'm a, aware of. Uh, there, could, there could be quite easily. Uh, but during valve overlap, uh, the pistons come real close to the valves. So you're kind of limited there. If you put valve reliefs in the, in the pistons, you screw up the combustion process because there's this thing going on called swirl. Uh, that's the rotation of the air uh, 
and you inject into the denser air, which is centrifuged out to the perimeter of the cylinder wall, and as the piston squishes it at top dead center, it pushes that density into the combustion chamber. What happens in the combustion chamber? For years, we'd had to theorize that. Uh, there's a lot of technology today where you can view it. You can view it optically. You can view it in a thermal manner. You, you can look at the strata of air-fuel ratio. And that's one thing here at, at Banks Power we've been working on quite heavily is using all the air in, ch in chamber and trying to make uniform the air-fuel ratio in the combustion chamber. In other words, we don't want a stratified charge. We want a homogeneous charge. So there's unused oxygen in the process and we're, we're, we're changing the shape of the combustion chamber. Uh, that's part of the gig I'm working on here. But I believe that compression ignition probably is the best shot at it in, ter in terms of future combustion process. For gas or just for diesel? Huh. A lot of guys would like to do compression ignition gas, but it's too volatile. Uh, it auto ignites too easily. Yeah, there's a lot of work, you know, HECI. You don't, you, you, yeah, uh, you could say diesel, you could say diesels run on detonation and spark ignition engines fail on detonation. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, so in terms of range, in terms of cost of the fuel, uh, diesel's pretty cool. In terms of after treatment, it's not. So the opportunities with compression ignition probably stay with a fuel that, that looks something like diesel fuel. There's more refined versions. Uh, there's diesel fuel made from gas, uh, natural gas, GTL, gas to liquid it's called. The, the Germans kind of pioneered that, that during World War II. And uh, GTL diesel, there's a lot of extra methane in the United States right now, they burn it off in North Dakota because there's no pipe, no way to get it to market. Uh, you could make diesel fuel out of it right there. Uh, you'd have some pretty sweet diesel fuel that would allow you to do more things with less emissions, in my estimation. You know, you look, look at us, we sell Derringer tuners and six guns and all kinds of tuning stuff that we do and intake systems and exhaust and diff covers. And, you know, I'm curious. I, I go out, out if, it, if it intrigues me, we make a product out of it, uh, if there's a market. But where are we going in the future? Also, part of that is hybrid. Uh, having a motor generator unit hanging on the back where the flywheel is, oh boy, is that sweet stuff. We did two test series for BMW 10, 12 years ago. One was the Hydrogen 7. It was a V12 injected engine, no turbos. It ran on gasoline at 420 horsepower, and you turn on the hydrogen, turn off the gasoline injectors, made 270. But hydrogen, hydrogen is hard to store. And if you, if you want a lot of range, you have to make it liquid. But to make it liquid, you've got to get, get it real cold. You can't compress it enough at ambient temperature to liquefy it. So they had 
made it incredibly cold, like 270 below zero, some number like that, put it into a tank with a tank around it, and then they vaporized liquid hydrogen in that gap between the two tanks to keep it cold. So you were already using hydrogen to keep the hydrogen cold, and then it just vented to atmosphere. Second problem with hydrogen, uh, if, if you left it parked in your garage and you had a water heater with standing pilot, or when the water heater turned on and you had open flame, the hydrogen that was leaking out of the tank would blow up your garage. Yeah, that's not good. I, I'm, I'm thinking that that won't sell. <laughs> and when I took it up to Yosemite, I did high altitude work for BMW. The air fuel ratio is 32 to one. That's stoichiometric. When you, when, you, when you get up to altitudes like you guys have every day in Colorado, yeah. the horsepower just disappeared. Yes, it does. You didn't have enough air density to run. This, we're well under a, a 200 horsepower in a, in a seven series BMW. Scratch hydrogen right there. And the last nail in the coffin for hydrogen, the best way to make it is electrolysis. You electrolyze water to make one BTU of hydrogen takes 4.2 BTUs of electrical energy. Does that sound practical? Only if you have nuclear power. Uh, and nobody wants nuclear power because we're all scared to death of nuclear power for some reason. Uh, of course, the French, French have been using it for decades and no, no Chernobyl's there. Uh, maybe, maybe we should pay the French for their technology. The second one uh, was the Hybrid 7. The Hybrid 7 was a twin-turboed, nominal four-liter double-overhead cam V8 uh, with a like a 60-kilowatt motor generator unit where the flywheel goes. When you made that thing motor and you went wide open throttle with a twin-turbo V8, that big-ass 7 Series BMW would nail your head to the headrest. I mean, it's just something to behold. I like the idea of a hybrid hot rod. I would love to build an all-wheel drive 32 Ford Roadster with a hybrid hot rod setup under the hood. Well, it's amazing when you think about hybrids that, uh, you know, when it first came out, kind of Prius, the aura around it, like, the whole thing was meant to to fit in a you know a, a tree hugger image. Yes. Right. That's the customer. That's who we're trying to attract. Uh, you know, small little tires, a little car that looks kind of funky, space age. It stood out as I'm a hybrid buyer. You mean stupid? <laughs> it's what you call hybrid ugly. Yeah, but look at hybrids now. When you think about uh, you know on the performance end, because just like you're saying, right? You combine the best of both worlds. From a performance yes. perspective versus the ultra ultra efficiency perspective, uh, you kind of find the balance point between going stupid fast uh, and being, you know, the ultimate in efficiency and, and yes. being actually just pretty darn good, right? Regen on the braking, store a little bit of energy, have that sucker ready mm -hmm. to kind of give you that extra boost, uh, go along with the IC engine, and uh, the next thing you know, you're in you're in supercar territory, right? So, it, it, and if you use the hybrid aspect, the motor component, right. all the time during acceleration, uh, normal acceleration, 
the emission signature of the IC engine drops tremendously because you're not using, you're not enriching so much. Uh, so when you enrich, you drive cylinder temperature and cylinder temperature drives NOx, N-O-X. Mm -hmm. And then we got to deal with that. So a lot of, a lot of diesel tuners to, I'm talking about factory guys, to meet emissions, sometimes they put a hole in the torque curve where the, the NOx gets real bad uh, or do something else like retard the injection timing, which is just criminal. Uh, you know, my, my tool there is nice, clean, cool, inert exhaust gas to, to you know, recircuit. Uh, done right, exhaust gas recirculation is a performance tool. And I use a lot of that in my tuning products. And guys wonder, how the hell did those guys pull that off? Or they say, oh, we checked banks, and he's got a lot of EGR. And I go, yep, I sure do. <laughs> and I use it to advantage. Uh, so, in other words, I can make more power using the EGR than the other guy can without and still pass emissions. Yeah, that's key. There's another component, and that's called uh, full delete. Or, you, you know, guys will get a new truck and go off the agency floor, floor right to their garage and pull all the emissions equipment off and put uh, a tune in that doesn't have anything to do with emissions whatsoever. And a lot of times doesn't have much to do with engine life. Uh, but it's a small percentage of the market. I call that racing engines. That's what I do if I go racing. So I'm into full deletes. And oh, by the way, uh, all of our military engines that are tactical, emissions equipment becomes unreliable oh, yeah. in battlefield situations. You don't want to plug up your DPF. Yeah, the, the DPF is the biggest point of failure. You don't need a regen moment, you know? Yeah, yeah, you don't need a regen <laughs> moment. So wisely, Congress has seen fit. If, if you're warfighting, there's a lot of smoke. You know, things are exploding and there's smoke. Uh, our diesels don't smoke on the battlefield. You know, the calibration is as clean as we can make it. Fuel efficiency range is a big thing that you consider when you're deciding what your tactics are and your battle plan is. So I'll say this, we've probably in a few short years, I've built as many military engines as I have performance engines in 62 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And we just had what's called a recompete where we had to compete against other engine manufacturers for the second generation of this vehicle, which starts around, I don't know, 2024 and probably goes to 2034, something like that. And the final round was against CAT and us wow. and we got it really so, so we're going to be doing the jltv diesel engine with gm until probably 2034 wow yeah and that that is the kind of latest and greatest most badass humvee yeah to kind of put a picture in your head of what this guy is delivering for powertrains now it's kind of cool to to listen to you gail because you know, 
you think of most people in the aftermarket, they're very kind of singular focused, right? I'm just, I'm just the supercharger guy and I'm just going to keep turning that knob. And here you are investigating, testing, you know, in communication talks with OEs, with all the aftermarket on just about every possible space uh, with a level of knowledge that you can then, you know, make some strategic decisions and, you know, start to project into the future. And you can see, you know, when Willie asked you the question on, you know, why are you still geeked up about all this stuff is because, <laughs> right, you're grasping at tomorrow constantly. You've got the whole map kind of laid out on what tomorrow is and all these different branches, whether it's diesel, whether it's gas, whether it's electric and hybrid and all these other things. Uh, and so it, it's a little bit more clear in my mind, like what's getting you up every morning because there's all these answers left uh, unanswered, right? All these questions left unanswered. So pretty cool. Now, what I got out of that was the IC engine still lives. Yeah. It might be married to some sort of electrical propulsion device, regen device, which kind of makes me a little nervous on one end. Like, oh, there's another thing there that I got to work with, work around. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, damn, if it makes me go faster, you know, maybe that's okay too. That's the whole idea. Maybe I recapped it, uh, you know, somewhere in the ballpark, but it sounds like from a Gale perspective, we're going to be burning stuff for a little while longer and we're still going to be going fast and hopefully even faster. Well, I, I figure, you know, I'm 78. Ed Iskandarian is 99 years old and he's still, he's a futurist. And what a great chat. Oh my God. You ever talk to Isky? You remember it. Ah, I'd love to. I'd love he, to. He sponsored, first guy to ever sponsor me back in 1960 hmm. was Ed Iskandarian. That's another whole nother deal. Here's the, here's the deal. In my world, in my world, there are known knowns, things you know. And, and then there are known unknowns, things you've identified you want <laughs> to know, but you don't know yet. And then there are unknown unknowns. Right, Kevin? Yes, sir. That's where you were going. It's the unknown unknowns that I want to ferret out and I want to solve. <laughs> oh, this is awesome, man. Gail, we are going to have to bring you back. Yeah. Now, real quick, tell everybody, because <laughs> uh, we didn't even get to talk about all the amazing kind of products and things that you guys uh, are, are always, you know, up on your website, what you guys produce, what you guys make. Uh, all the things for us. Yeah, there's lots of gasoline stuff on bankspower.com. There's lots of motorhome stuff. In fact, I'm working on a V10 Ford. Oh, yeah. Altitude compensation turbo. Ooh, the old Triton. For, yeah. Yeah. And I think Ford is still bi building mm -hmm. that V10 until cool, the 7.3 gets into the motorhome. Yeah. Then I'll turbo that thing. So check them out. Yeah, so you're on Banks Power. Yeah. Uh, bankspower.com. Now you've got a lot of videos. You have your own channel. What on YouTube? Yeah, it's a Banks Power YouTube and ba Banks Power Facebook. Awesome, awesome, it's awesome. Both of them. Yeah, I check them out all the time, man. You guys got to get online. Look at some of these videos. Uh, of course, we're on Instagram too. We're out there. Oh man, well, Gail, we really <laughs> appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Yeah. I mean, to get fifty some years of uh, your insight and your experience, your stories. Uh super cool. We will have to carve out some more it's time amazing. again in the near future to have you back. All right. It, it's my pleasure and my honor. Thank you both.
Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And keep on, hey, keep on doing what you're doing, man. We're just gonna sit back. I'm one of those guys. I somebody has got to be on the curb to clap when you go by. That's me, man. I'm on a curb clapping when you guys go by the parade. I'm like, wow, that, you, you put that's a, the man. You, hey, you put a couple turbos on that Mopar. I'll clap for you. <laughs> I, I do have turbos on my Mopars. <laughs> I mean, you, you're gasping for breath up there in Colorado. Oh, no yeah. air density. None. <laughs> All right. Well, Gail, thank All you right, so man. much, man. Hey, don't forget about show air weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listens. Also, uh, episodes now streaming on Motor Trend On Demand, which is a great way to find us. Uh, find Part one of the podcast with Gail. Uh, it is fantastic as well. Thanks to my boy Kevin Bird for uh, Gail Banks. I am Willie B., our producer, Scooper, and exec- executive producer, Bob Hecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com, and share your thoughts with us on social. We're everywhere Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Guys Garage. Now, Two Guys Garage podcast is a copyright 2020 Britain Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved. Man, that is too cool talking to one of the legends, right? He's covered so much ground everywhere, done it all. Man, we, we just need a whole nother yeah. series of podcasts called Hanging Out with Gail. <laughs> Dude, he's such a pioneer. He's such a just, I mean, rule breaker, groundbreaker. Uh, the, the guy has, has just defined Hot Rod and pushing the envelope in so many ways and aspects. It's just amazing. So really cool that we got to talk with him. Not once, but twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are out of time this time, everybody. So we will catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.